Hi, I'm Jason Stockwell. Welcome to Inside the Hive. So Inside the Hive focuses on three things, technology, startups, and people. Today, we're joined by Izzy Barnes from Consequential Robotics. Consequential Robotics product is Miro. Miro is a super cute companion robot, which is designed to help teach kids how to code and promote research into human-robot interaction. Izzy's role within that is product manager, so she oversees a lot of the developments, the continual improvements that Miro has. So we sat down with Izzy to talk about how she got into robotics, what developments Consequential Robotics are making to Miro, and where she sees the future work going. There will be pictures of Miro, so you can see how cute it is for yourself, at bot-hive.com. If you go to the Roblogtics section, there's a botcast feature in there, and this will be in that section. Hi Izzy, how are you? Hello, yeah, good thanks. Great, and what are you sharing with our listeners today? Um, I'll talk a little bit about my background, how I got into robotics, about the company, Consequential Robotics, what we've kind of got in the pipeline, about our current product, Miro E, and uh, maybe a little bit about women in robotics and some of my interests in that area. Brilliant, let's get started. So you mentioned before the podcast that you accidentally got, came into robotics, which I found brilliant. Uh, can you just share with some of our listeners how you started out? Okay, yes. <laughs> so my degree was engineering design at University of Bristol, which was a weird one. So there's 25 of us in the class, in the course, which is really small. Five years, year in industry in the middle. So you do a degree, kind of picking which engineering discipline you want to do. So you have a mechanical engineering degree, in my case. And then you also have essentially an extra kind of aspect to your degree, which is the extra year, based around design engineering and management and things like that. It's really, really interesting. And then I did a year away at Atkins, which is an engineering company focusing on nuclear reactor design, <laughs> which is fun. Um, so I kind of graduated with a design engineering degree with a bit of mechanical, went down to work at a design company in London, so like a product design company, uh, which was called Sebastian Comran Associates. So then uh, went to work there as a, as a design engineer, focusing primarily on mechanical design of, we called it a robotic wheelchair. And it was a kind of wheelchair that had all these additional features and was very automated, very interesting. And then also working on product design of other little, little kind of side projects where I wasn't the main the main consultant. So that was a consulting job. Yeah. So it was it's a small. <laughs> so product design companies are usually consultancies. So a client will come in and say, I want X Y Z done. This is the brief. This is how much money you've got. You know, I want four people working on it. There you go. So then it would come to us. And if they needed an engineer, I'd be the engineer because I was the only engineer, <laughs> um, which was quite daunting for someone just out of university. Uh, and then we would kind of work on that. So my main project would be working on this robotic wheelchair. And then if they needed an engineer on any other project, I would swoop in and do that as well. So I did a year working there. And then kind of around the six month mark, I started working on Miro because Sebastian Cohen Associates is the design company that designed the kind of visual of Miro, which is our robot. And so I started working with our sister company, which is now my current company, Consequential Robotics. And then eventually I started working more and more time on that, getting to know the, com the company, getting to know the people up here, which is where I'm originally from <laughs> in terms of my degree. And uh, yeah, so eventually transitioned to being full-time with CQR, 
got to go to robotics, came back up to Bristol, which is where my partner lives as well. So that was really nice, be back with my friends. And uh, yeah, became full-time working in robotics. And you said it was an accident. Was there a reason you chose a robotics career? No, it's interesting. I'm an engineer, so I find it interesting. But no, it just ended up being the project that I was put on to help out. And they knew I had, originally, I was put on it to help out because I had connections up in Bristol and I could come here for free because I didn't need anywhere to stay. That was basically the only reason because I was an engineer and I had connections in Bristol. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, so I was an engineer and I had braces in Bristol so I could be very low for expenses. But yeah, then and kind of, started getting quite started getting quite knowledgeable about our product in particular. I also had like a background in teaching in schools um, a little bit kind of as a teaching assistant and as a tutor for many years. So and my mum's a teacher and I've got a younger brother and there's all these different factors that it meant I'd actually done quite a lot of activities and work with schools. So when I when I kind of started transitioning into working more with concept robotics it was because of that side as well. So it was the engineering and kind of the in, insight into education. Yeah, wow, that educational experience must come in incredibly useful for the whole team at, at Consequential Robotics. How long have you been with them? A uh, year and a couple of months, full time, and then a few months before that as a, as a consultant. So I still have the same CEO. So Sebastian Comran is still our CEO, which is great. So I still can go down to London and help out with the design of new robots that we're doing and yeah so it's a really good it's a really good kind of company up here especially the team's quite young and not in terms of actual personnel but is in we've only been together kind of two years as a unit i've only been part of it for a year and a bit which means that i got in quite early and i can kind of grow with everyone and i can see the progression of the robot mm. whereas i didn't just kind of jump into a company knowing nothing And everyone was like, why do you know nothing? I could jump in and be like, I know nothing. We all know nothing, so it's fine. (laughs) And as you've been there for the last couple of years, what changes have you seen? And what are Consequential Robotics' biggest successes? The actual company size hasn't grown, except for one new kind of software developer. But we had a new product, which we launched in January, based in the education market, which is kind of why I was brought in um yeah so kind of over the last year the big thing is the new product so when i kind of joined we were just starting we'd kind of worked out the the hardware choices while i was working as a consultant we kind of we'd gotten the design we make get them manufactured abroad so kind of jumped in where it was just being sent off for final checks and we were going to do a little bit of toing and froing and so then we started spending the last the kind of first six months of the year planning how we were going to enter the market, planning different products, making new software changes, developing a whole new software product, and then launching in January. And since then, it's been crazy, (laughs) really busy. It's really exciting. Um, Yeah, we're in quite a few schools, quite a few universities, a few more universities. I constantly see you and your colleagues moving boxes around. And when I asked you about it, you said they were being shipped to Australia. So how did that partnership start so we kind of we have our hub here and a little one in london as well and a little one in sheffield and then when i say a little one one person in london and one person in sheffield and 
So we got approached a couple of years ago by these people called The Brainery in Australia, and they're a wonderful small-ish, relatively small, I think there's about 15 people, uh, and they kind of sell robotics to education and universities around Australia and New Zealand and some different areas of Southeast Asia. So we work with them because it's a bit too far for us to kind of do repairs remotely and they've been they've been really good they've gotten in loads of new trials as well which is really exciting we're getting we've got quite a lot of trials happening so how has Miro changed and how will it continue to develop as a product Miro was the kind of flagship product and the first product we started with Miro B which was originally designed and developed to be a kind of tool for roboticists looking at human robot interaction so it was that's not the, that wasn't the original concept idea, but the original, the actual original product, which was released in 2017, was Miro B, which is the Miro Beta. It, it was in the name that it was a developer product. So this was for roboticists, universities, developers, uh, psychologists, students, that kind of thing. People looking at how a robot could be applied in a different manner to what they were originally working with, which were usually robot arms, more me more kind of mechanized, not very engaging, very autonomous. And um, our robot kind of was designed to be the opposite. Very engaging, very friendly, non-threatening was one of the keywords that when we were designing the visuals, non-threatening and cute, I'd say cute is a was one of the words kind of charming so it was designed to be a kind of social robot companion robot that people would essentially we'd give them this platform that they could go and do whatever they wanted with we would everyone says oh what does it do We're like whatever you want we have a kind of autonomous mode that it goes into where it shows off what it can do and it just kind of autonomously roams and will play with you and react to you and then people could program whatever else they wanted which was great really interesting for loads of research projects yeah, we had it in loads of universities. We probably had it in about 70 universities, always worldwide, um, in, for the Mirabi. Got that in about 70 universities and some other schools and organisations. And then realised through events and the such that kids absolutely adored Miro. Byproduct of it's absolutely adorable, you know, appearance. <laughs> the appearance is so cute that the kids just loved it. So we thought, hmm, okay, we're kind of working on developing some more applications and different. we want different robots for a more consumer-based market. But in the short term, it may be worth entering the education market and kind of applying what we've learned from the universities about their way that they use it for teaching and bringing it more accessible, more kind of open, help get children from all walks of life, you know, girls love it, young kids love it, older kids love it. People from all around the world love it. It's, you can get anyone, <laughs> anyone interested. So that was where we kind of went next. We fixed all of the hardware issues that had come about with the Mirror B and made this new software platform that allows children to program it in, or anyone like myself, <laughs> children <laughs> to program it in a more accessible way. So how do kids and kind of everyone program it? What do you use? a visual programming language and a text-based programming language, Blockly and Python, respectively. So that's a kind of, it was a new, not a new spin, but kind of a new way to access 
that vast programming potential that the Mirror B had, mm. but making it really nice and neat and cute and friendly and you know intuitive, which was which is hopefully what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when Mirror E was launched, it came along with this new software, and uh, yeah, we entered into the education market. So with the education market, that's obviously seen a lot of change with technology. Uh, what made you want to dive into it? Was it going down the national curriculum coding route or was it looking at you've already had an entrance since university? So looking at schools would be another string to your bow or was it something else? It was a bit of both, actually. Um, so as I said, the kind of main starting, this, this came before I was full time, but the, the kind of main ignition for it was at events, we would get approached by teachers and parents and kids, all saying how much this was a would be a great platform to learn with. Because at the moment, they just use kind of small Roomba-esque robots that move forward, turn right, turn left, and will go around a maze usually, or a little map on the floor, and you can program it that way. There are some other ones on the market that are really great, but that's the most common one. Um, so we we kind of had all this feedback from people. Okay, that starts stirring something in the back of your mind. And then we thought, okay, actually we're getting feedback from the universities as well about how they're using it in teaching. And some of our own co-founders are university professors, so they use it in their teaching as well. And that kind of combined to think, okay, well, maybe in about six months time, we, we were gonna make these hardware changes anyway to make it even better. You know, we could we could start looking into how we get into this education market and start making this new software platform. And then we can just, you know, we can sell it to still, still sell it to universities. Universities makes it a little bit more accessible, especially for a lot of our people were kind of psychology students or some biology students as well. So they don't have much coding experience. Help them along and then also see what the response is from schools and keep working, which is what we're still doing. You know, we've got it in a few schools, we're getting feedback from them constantly. We start building more more and more things to make it better for them. I'm moving on to the export and his great posters. We've all seen Miro on it, and it is very much the face of technology for exporting. How did it come about, and what's the internal reaction? We get a lot of interest from, from the government. We've got a great product and it's all designed in the UK and it, so the Department for International Trade and uh, a couple of other government bodies, they took an interest in Miro because we did some work in Tokyo um, where our CEO has some contacts anyway so he brought one along with him it just happened to be that some people from the government Department of International Trade were there. And, uh, and kind of fell in love. So then we ended up working with them on this Britain is great promotion. So me and George went out to Hong Kong, which is fab for a week um, at a really good trade show out there. We went to, uh, we had someone out for Tokyo and they had one in their embassy and they had it hanging outside, a massive poster hanging outside the Tokyo embassy, British embassy. Um, we've done loads of events in the UK, did one at the Oval, which was quite interesting. Um, so we did a lot of events in the UK with DIT as well, and kind of, they kept, just kept talking to us. So I did an event in Buckingham Palace, I think, oh, in the Mayor's House with the Royal Family of the Netherlands, which is very interesting. 
there were two robotics companies there and everyone had been matched with someone from the Netherlands who was in a similar area. So that was interesting. Um, we just get invited to a lot of things by the DI team. Is it nice to see that Mira is the face of tech export in the UK? Yeah. I mean, it's a very cute face, so why wouldn't it be? <laughs> I mean, I would make it the face of robotics for the world. No. Uh, yeah, no, it is. It's a really good um, it's kind of acknowledgement of where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so along with exporting, what other projects are you guys working on? Um, at the moment, we're focusing all of our time on Miro E, selling and product finalization, um, following kind of early adopters feedback from those kind of few schools that I was talking about. We have uh, another product that's being developed for maybe 2021 release, which we're doing the kind of initial design for down in London. Um, and I'll do some product spec on that in a couple of weeks, maybe in the next month, once we kind of finalize this next release of next update for Miro E. Um, and that's pretty much it. We're kind of focusing on getting it'll be Miro X or Miro C or something for consumers in a couple of years. Um, but we're kind of working on finalizing Miro E, getting a software update, and then we're going to work on getting a cloud-based version of the software up and running by the end of the year, get that out, and then start working on the new version. But it's less time up here in the lab. It's more time down in the design studio at this stage for the next product. Whereas the current product is you know, still in a really exciting stage of we've only just launched it, we're getting feedback. We're going about, yeah, working dynamically with the evolution of Mirror E at the moment. And you mentioned that you take on a lot of customer feedback. What feedback in particular has caused you to make big product iterations? All feedback. We try and, we try and create a community around Miro, um, which isn't hard because people tend to flock to it and then everyone has ideas and we try and take all of those ideas in. Um, primarily the feedback was around getting the software as intuitive as possible. So I mentioned before, getting, making sure that, you know, certain things, if they were in a different order, they would be more kind of, oh, I understand now that goes first and then you go like this, this, this and this. So we've changed some orders around, made sure that some things are more readable. If anyone wants uh, actual, one of the most recent ones was someone said, oh, I, I, I'd like to be, you know, kind of be able to see the code actually working as I go. So we did a user log. So if you want to print anything within the code, that can kind of come up, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of getting it with, with people who are actually going to use it and seeing how they respond. Um, I'm working on writing teaching materials at the moment, so that'll be my next thing to kind of get out and see. I've got a few schools that are going to test those and get some feedback on that, and then I can get that all going. And once we kind of know that the process of and the template that we're working with works, then we can make more, <laughs> essentially, and just <laughs> stop turning them out. Um, but yeah, but it's making sure that people can actually understand what we're trying to get across. And after you develop the product, is the next step going for more funding? Yeah, no, next step is go for funding and get, because at the moment we just rely on the original seed money of the founders and then have been going with sales 
so just sales profits. But um, yeah, we originally, we, originally, we next step is get funding, grow the team a little bit. I think, well, for the for the for the for the board members, that's what that's what they're working on at the moment. Well, a few of them are just yeah, just getting some extra funding. Um, usually, just applying to like nice grants. There's loads of nice grants going around, especially in the education market. So it's going for those, and then getting um, yeah, and then we can start growing the team, getting some more developers in. So moving into your personal passions, I guess, within the future of robotics, what are you most excited about? Yeah, so in terms of kind of my interests, getting more females into STEM education and actually STEAM education, which has got the arts in as well, is really big for me. Um, something I was kind of passionate about all through university, all through work, you know, working at a big corporate office when you're a relatively young female in an engineering world, was <laughs> there weren't many of us. Um, um, so I did quite a lot of work there and, and worked through university and getting girls into STEAM, which was, yeah, which is really interesting and something that I think that we can do a really big push towards with our product. Um, one of our main, not selling points, but it is, it's, a, it's a USP that we've got that is, we're completely appealing to everyone, apart from one child I think I've met who didn't like Miro and just because her, her dog was like a terror and so she was like I don't like anything that looks like an animal it's a very strange child um but yeah so yeah but it was one of those things that when 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 you're working in the industry especially in the engineering industry you notice I mean it's a little bit the same here it's slightly less because it's most of the people in this office are in academia which is which is different um, but something when you notice in industry is they focus on promotion at people who are also in industry and they don't really focus on getting the younger kids involved, um, which I started to do quite a lot in university with various different organisations. And it's instead of trying to promote at people who are already working and already you know, 18 plus, trying to get the ones that are seven or nine or 11 and they're just trying to form what they want to do with their life. and having an easy way to code and learn coding. I wish I'd had that when I was a kid. And um, I, yeah, I probably might be in a different career. I wouldn't be, I'm an engineer. <laughs> but yeah, it's a skill that is, is kind of shunned a little bit. So are you part of any groups around inclusivity in robotics or engineering or STEM? Yeah, women in STEM, women in engineering. Uh, I do some work with a company called RoboGals. Um, there's, yeah, the main, the big, the big ones are kind of being a STEM ambassador, which is, it's not specifically for any gender or any background. It's just generally to get more people interested in STEM. So you kind of can go into schools, but your, yourself and your kind of history and your experiences becomes that kind of what you're showcasing. So when you wander around the lab, what tech do you find yourself drawn to? There's loads that's really interesting. Everything's really interesting. Yeah. Like the urine robot machine is really cool. It's interesting. <laughs> you know, swarm robotics, that's really cool. Yeah. In terms of what I'm interested in, I did a really good, good course at university on bio-inspired AI, which is, which is related to what I did now. And she, the woman who did it is Sabine Huart, I think. I can't remember how to spend that's her last name. But she does the swarm robotics, heads up the swarm robotics lab here. It was every week was focusing on a different aspect of biology 
and then finding robots that have used that aspect of biology. So it would be vision, say, in, and it would be looking at robots that use the vision of flies and having the multiple different inputs and it would be, or it would be using touch and, and skin sensors and looking at different robots that apply that and it was yeah really interesting a lot of a lot on swarm robotics because she was interested in that so it was looking at how you, you start each lesson two hour lesson with an hour on the actual biology looking at flies looking at bees looking at whatever was and then the next kind of hour hour and a half usually was okay this robot has drawn aspects from that that and that this is how it works da, 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 da. really interesting um, really interesting as well, as well to be able to see <laughs> some of the swarm robots that we learn about in class. But that's <clears> one <throat> aspect that we use at the moment in our in our robot, and it's something that uh, one of our co-founders, our tech director Ben Mitchinson, Doctor Ben Mitchinson, <laughs> he he focuses on as well, doing bio-inspired kind of control. It's really interesting you say that actually because uh, I've had a couple of conversations with people about what animal Miro is and is it because I always thought it was a dog rabbit thing what what exactly is it it's an amalgamation of a variety of cute animals in the design studio at the time we had puppies and kittens and rabbits and calves and I think there was a goat there was lamb <laughs> There was a chick, there was a little like cute mouse. There was all these pictures on the wall and it was just drawing different aspects from each one. So the ears are kind of rabbit-like. The behavior is quite puppy-like. The noise is quite kitten-like. The collar is kind of like you'd have on a cow, like a little cowbell type thing. Um, some of the, the, some of the um, senses range from different animals as well, are drawn from them, yeah. It was it was an interesting spot to be in in the office. Down. It's still there. This just kind of collage of cute animals. But it's really interesting because people you kind of say to people the first time, what do you, what animal do you think it is? Some people say donkey. Australia they get kangaroo a lot, understandably because the ears are a little bit kind of kangarooy. I think and the nose has got that little elongation. But I get donkey a lot, and I always thought it was lamb, a little bit more lamb because of the nose. Thanks very much for joining me. It's been brilliant to have you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Inside the Hive. I'm Jason Stockwell. For more information on BotHive, visit bot-hive.com. For more information on consequential robotics, there'll be a link to it from our website. You can tweet us, LinkedIn us, Facebook us, or Instagram us at WeAreBotHive. BotHive is a place where small businesses go to find the right robot for them. If you want to see small businesses that are already using robots, go to bothive.com and search for your industry in the search bar. I'll speak to you next week.